My name is Keith Beavers, and am I the only one that cringes when people talk to the food they're about to eat in commercials or ads? Like, you're about to eat that M&M, and it's talking to you. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 7 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. It's season 2. We all know this. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tastings director of Vine Pair and howdy doody. <laughs> You've had the Sauvignon Blanc from the place called New Zealand. But what do you know about New Zealand? Let's talk about New Zealand. There's so much fun to be had in New Zealand beyond Sauvignon Blanc, but that's awesome too, and I'll tell you why. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Whitehaven. From the sunny bays and lush green vineyards of Marlborough comes a New World Sauvignon Blanc that only New Zealand can offer. Whitehaven's winemaking philosophy centers on the pursuit of quality without compromise, a principle that is supported at every step from vineyard to glass. Whitehaven uses only Marlborough grapes in our wines, ensuring that only truly authentic Marlborough character is in every bottle. Inspired by a dream, try Whitehaven Sauvignon Blanc. Your haven awaits. You know, when we in the U.S., when we get into something, we don't mess around. When we get into it, it's the thing that we're into. I mean, it's, it's, and we just stick to it for a long time. And then sometime, you know, at some point it'll, 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 it'll taper off or, but in wine, we stick to things for a long time. So we're talking about our flavor profiles, our tastes and what, what we dig. And sometimes when a wine hits our market and hits that palate preference of like almost everybody, it's crazy. And that's what Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough in New Zealand did to our market. It's one of those wines up there with Shiraz or Shiraz back in the 90s from Australia. It's the Malbec thing that's happening kind of right now on our market. Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc came on our market in like the mid to late 80s and it's just never gone away. It's, if you think about Sauvignon Blanc, you're probably going straight for the New Zealand section or maybe the French section. But New Zealand is a prominent player on the, on the, on the market for Sauvignon Blanc. But we got to talk about everything else that New Zealand does. Because we got to talk about how awesome Marlborough is and where it is. But we have to also talk about a few other places that you're going to see on the American market from this amazing country that is just awesome. This is going to sound a little bit weird. But as a place on this earth that humans exist on, New Zealand is new. Does that sound weird? That sounds weird. I guess what I'm trying to say is there were no humans on New Zealand until about 800 years ago. And that's when the seafaring people of that part of the world found this land and made it their own and eventually evolved into what we know today as the Maori people. They went on to create this amazing, beautiful, vibrant culture with creation myths and everything. And so actually, if you've seen the movie Moana, there's a kind of a, there's, there's a little bit of that mythology in some of the songs of Moana. It's pretty awesome. And these people are documented as arriving on the shores of New Zealand between 12 and 1300. And it's not until around the 17th century we start seeing the British and the Dutch kind of making moves because, you know, they're all over the place during this time. The Europeans were everywhere on boats. And if, the, and if the Europeans are on boats looking for places to live, you know they got monks with them. And of course, the first vines to be planted on New Zealand or in New Zealand soils were missionaries. 
Yes, the English are here with their missionaries planting the vines. There's no documentation of wine being made, but there's documentation of plants being put in the ground in the northern part of the northern island of New Zealand. The winemaking credit for New Zealand is a story we're going to tell in another episode by a man named James Busby, who started making wine around that same area and then selling that wine to British troops. This guy's important, and when we talk about Australia, we're going to have a whole thing on him, James Busby. Put a pin in that. New Zealand is a fascinating place with a fascinating wine history. It's a very kind of a roller coaster ride. And it's very quick because it all happened just so recently. But the thing is, what I find the most exciting about New Zealand and wine is what's happening right now. And I want to get to that. So I want to, there's a couple things just I want to mention about New Zealand, how they got to where they are today. But then we're going to, we're going to talk about what's happening right now because man, it's exciting. By the late 19th century, New Zealand had a wine industry to the point where in 1895, they actually appointed their first government viticulturalist, a dude by the name of Romero Bragato. That sounds Italian. And his job was to make improvements on what was already happening in New Zealand. And that was a big moment for New Zealand wine history. But unfortunately, that same year, this villain I keep talking about, this thing, this louse, this bug, this mite called phylloxera is first detected in New Zealand. And everything kind of grinds to a halt. Like, okay, what what are we going to do now? By this point, the phylloxera situation was not under control, but was being worked on. And in the United States, and with French help, there are all these American hybrid vines being grown all over the United States to try to combat this thing called phylloxera, which was an American louse eating all these European vines. The remedy, and we're going to get into this in the phylloxera episode, was grafting American rootstock onto European rootstock, and that would save the vines. So all New Zealand had to do was graft all of their native European vines that are already there onto American rootstock and they could have their Vitis vinifera vines. But New Zealand decided to not do that. Instead of grafting, they just said, give us the American hybrids, whatever those grapes are, and we'll just plant those. And these types of vines stayed in the soils of New Zealand well through to about 1960. And between then and 1960, a lot of crazy stuff happened. But unfortunately, I can't get into all of it. What I will say, the major moments would be that New Zealand actually in 1910 through 1919 went through a temperance movement. We in America actually signed into law alcohol prohibition. They tried to do that in New Zealand, lost the votes, but ended up with this temperance movement affecting the way you buy alcohol in New Zealand for a very long time. There was also a situation in the post-World War II era of this country where there was a lot of, a big flood of imports from other places. And I believe that was because you had soldiers coming back from World War II that have been to Europe and they were probably like saying, hey, let's get some of this European wine into here. So local winemakers were competing against imports pretty heavily after World War II. And by 1960, the most popular vine planted in New Zealand was a hybrid from New York called American Isabella or Albany Surprise. But things were about to change. In the 1860s, on the southern island of New Zealand, there is a mountainous region called Otago. And we'll talk about that in a minute as far as wine is concerned. But in the 1860s, there was a gold rush there. And a lot of families from Croatia came 
to this place to find gold. When the gold rush was over, it was a very brief gold rush, these families stuck around. And on the, the southern part of the North Island is a major city called Auckland. And surrounding that area are what is known as gum trees. There are these trees that give off this kind of sap that the Maori people actually use and oxidize and sculpt into jewelry and stuff like that, but it's also, it also has industrial uses. And a lot of these Croatian families found jobs digging, becoming gum diggers. The reason I'm saying this is they, these, these Croatian people brought with them their wine skills. And really the modern era of wine in New Zealand is because of three or four major Croatian families that established themselves there. And one of them, which created the company called Montana, which is now called Brancott, in the late 60s worked with actually UC Davis over in California to see if there was this, if this new area they had found would be good for wine. And that area was on the South Island, the northeast corner of that island. It was a region called Marlboro. And the story goes that people thought they were crazy. And this is such a wine thing in the history of wine, especially in the New World. Is, you know, like in Oregon it happened. In Washington State it happened. People go to places and say, Pinot Noir works here. No, it doesn't. And then it does. And oh my gosh, Oregon Pinot Noir. This happened here. They were, everyone's like, no, you can't do that. But then they put Sauvignon Blanc into this soil and something beautiful happened. They realized that there was kind of a Goldilocks situation going on here where they had this major ocean influence for, of cool air, but had a lot of sun as well. And this, this balance created something special out of the Sauvignon Blanc grape. And in 1973, the first vines were planted in Marlboro. And this style was unique because it had a nice round fruit forwardness to it. It had some depth to it and some roundness to it. But it still had that bracing acidity that is known for Sauvignon Blanc in a place like Sancerre. But it, did, but it had more depth. And in addition to that, the herbaceous notes of the wine were just aggressive. They were very in-your-face. Not in-your-face uncomfortably, but they were actually just so much more prominent than other places the Sauvignon Blanc grows. As this style emerged, in 1975, uh, New Zealand formed what's called the Wine Institute of New Zealand. It's now called New Zealand Wine Growers. There's an alliance of wine growers to start sharing information and in 1925, an Australian winemaker by the name of David Honan, he creates a Sauvignon Blanc called Cloudy Bay. And when that hits the international market, it's over. That put New Zealand on the global map. That put Marlboro onto the global map. And that is how we, as a wine culture in the United States, was introduced to New Zealand, was through Cloudy Bay, Sauvignon Blanc from Marlboro. And today, Marlboro is the largest wine region in New Zealand. And to this day, it seems to be our favorite style of Sauvignon Blanc on our market. And even though Marlboro Savvy B, as they call it in New Zealand, has a general style, the Marlboro, Marlboro region is this huge river valley, and it has all these different deposits of all these different kinds of soils. So you get this general style that we all know, but within that are the nuances, and every winemaker has their own way of expressing the nuance of Sauvignon Blanc in their Marlboro pocket. So although Marlboro isn't the newest wine-growing region of New Zealand, it is the most significant and the biggest and the one that we know the most. 
there are nine wine growing regions in New Zealand on both islands. We don't see a lot of that on the American market. We're only going to see a few. So outside of Marlborough, I want to talk to you about a few other regions that you're going to see because I feel like they're very exciting. And the thing is, Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough is awesome. But the thing is, there's so much more going on in New Zealand that we can also celebrate as much as we celebrate Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough. The thing about New Zealand is there is no controlled appellation system. There are label laws, but other than that, there is no geographical this or that. There are wine-growing regions and districts within those wine-growing regions, but that is about as far as it goes. Also in New Zealand, there are no rules. Make wine however you want to make wine. You can make it as like natural as you want. You can manipulate the hell out of it. Whatever you want to do, it's all you. And that's what's so beautiful about the winemakers in New Zealand. They have in front of them an open blank canvas. They can do whatever they want. But what they choose to do is refine and tweak and find the best places and the best grapes. And they actually, within their freedom, make very focused, awesome wine. Okay, and now I'm going to start talking about some locations. But this is why New Zealand, it's a little bit tough sometimes with New Zealand because it has a North Island and it has a South Island. And then you talk about locations within that island, and you have to use south and north with the island itself. For example, Marlborough is on the northeast corner of the South Island. Your brain kind of has to wrap around that for a minute, you know what I mean? So just as New Zealand defined a new style of Sauvignon Blanc, New Zealand is also defining a new style of Pinot Noir, and it's really, really exciting. There was a wine growing region on the South Island towards the southern part of the South Island, smack dab in the middle of the island. It is the only wine region in New Zealand that is a continental climate. It has no influence from either ocean or any of the oceans, which is crazy because it's all surrounded by oceans. This place is mountainous and hilly and drainy, but it gets a lot of sun. It's, it's kind of perfect for Pinot Noir. It has all the the cool climate that it needs, but the thing is you get all this sun. New Zealand gets so much sun. So you get this bright, vibrant, alive, active Pinot Noir, but because of that sun, you get this deep, voluptuous, chewy fruit. There's really not a Pinot Noir out there like the Pinot Noir from Central Otago. Just like there's no other Sauvignon Blanc like there is from Marlboro, the same goes here. If you get a chance to check them out, they're they're awesome. And they're on the market. They're a little expensive. They start about 30 bucks. They go up from there. And they're easy to find in a wine shelf because it's the only wine from Central Otago on our market. 70% of that wine region produces Pinot Noir. They're playing around with things like Riesling and Chardonnay, but Pinot Noir is what's defining that region right now. But they're not the only ones. I mean, there's Pinot Noir happening in Marlboro, but that's really all about Sauvignon Blanc. There's a place that's called Martinboro, and it always, it often gets overlooked because it looks like Marlboro when you're at a wine store. But it is on the, isn't it a place called Waipara? It's a, it's a region in the southern tip of the North Island. Martinboro is in that area. It's also a very hilly area. And they're a little more expensive, but you're going to see Pinot Noirs coming from Martinboro. And they're awesome. They're, they have that depth that Central Otago has, but there's this distinct sort of like earthy mushroom vibe going on in their Pinot Noirs. 
Very, very cool. There's also good Sauvignon Blanc coming from there, Chardonnay coming from there. More Martinboro stuff's going to be coming on the market, so take a look. So there are about seven more wine regions in New Zealand other than, the, other than the ones we've talked about. But I only want to talk about one because the other ones like Gisborne and Northland and Canterbury, we're not going to see a lot of that on the, on, on the market yet. But what we're starting to see is one of the older wine regions in New Zealand. And my personal favorite, I love the wines from Hawke's Bay, New Zealand. Just inland of Hawke's Bay, in the northeastern section of the North Island, is the wine-growing region called Hawke's Bay. And it is this low-lying land that as you get further inland, it gets into a little bit, it gets a little bit hillier. But what's really important about this place is there are these specific rivers. And because of the low-lying area, throughout the history of this particular region, there have been floods And when the floods recede, sometimes the river would take a different course. And when it did that, it would leave behind a riverbed of soil, which is basically perfect for vines. I feel like this is like the fun playground. Uh, Is that a word? I don't know how to say it. It's like, you know, you have Central Otago does Pinot Noir. Martinboro is doing Pinot Noir and Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay. And then you have Marlboro, which is basically sticking to Sauvignon Blanc. Yes, other varieties are being grown in those areas, but that's what defines those areas. Hawks Bay, there is no grape that defines Hawks Bay. What defines Hawks Bay is actually just the terroir, the varied soils that are very drainy. And currently you have all these sort of like, I don't know, they're winemakers and they're just figuring out what works. And I got to say, whatever they've been planting has been working. I've had stunning Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and Pinot Noir from this region. Beautiful acidity, good character, nice depth, awesome structured wines. But what's really exciting is I've had some sick, awesome Malbec from Hawks Bay in New Zealand. I've actually, so I, literally, like some of the Malbec I've had from New Zealand, it's kind of some of the best, best Malbec I've had outside of Argentina. It's really, really awesome. I mean, it's like deep and dark, but like it has good acidity, but it has, it's really herby, but not too herby. It's just, it's just awesome. And they're growing Syrah there. Um, I think they're doing some Riesling there. It's a very cool place because as Hawks Bay wines, more and more of them come onto our market and you should definitely seek Hawks Bay wines out. They're so good. This region is going to emerge not as a style like Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc or Central Taco Pinot Noir. It's going to emerge as a place of terroir. The, it has, it is, it's being explored right now because of its terroir, not because of a certain style of something. Um, I've had Merlot, Syrah, I've had Malbec, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc, all from Hawks Bay, and they're awesome in their own right with their own specific um, structural awesomeness. <laughs> so it's, it's a very fun and very unique place, and that's what's so cool about New Zealand is we're watching these regions emerge, even if they've already emerged. I mean, 1973 wasn't long ago. And even though New Zealand has been making wine since the 16th or 17th century, it wasn't until really 1973 or 1985 that New Zealand kind of popped onto the world stage. So we're still kind of watching this region evolve. And I think places like Hawke's Bay and Martinborough are really cool things to look out for while you're sipping on your Sauvignon Blanc from Marlboro and while you're checking out your Central Otago. So that's New Zealand in a nutshell. I want to give a shout out to Peter Jackson, winemaker at Winehaven in New Zealand for a good chat and some awesome information for this episode. 
Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Whitehaven. From the sunny bays and lush green vineyards of Marlboro comes a new world Sauvignon Blanc that only New Zealand can offer. Whitehaven's winemaking philosophy centers on the pursuit of quality without compromise, a principle that is supported at every step from vineyard to glass. Whitehaven uses only Marlboro grapes in our wines, ensuring that only truly authentic Marlboro character is in every bottle. Inspired by a dream, try Whitehaven Sauvignon Blanc. Your haven awaits.